Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Dad's Path Podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today I'm here with Alex Fitton, the host of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. You can find Alex at the adoptivemompodcast.com or at Instagram at Alex Fitton. That's her handle there. A-L-E-X-F-I-T-T-I-N. Welcome, Alex. We're really excited to have you. Hey, thanks, Will. I'm really excited to be here. Very cool. Very cool. So before we dive in fully, you know, we had a podcast that was really popular. It was called The Estranged Heart. It was about parents who are estranged from their adult kids. And most of the audience of our listeners, you know, have younger kids at home. So it's not totally aligned with, um, you would think, but again, it was one of our most popular episodes. And the reason when I talked to some people is one, they wanted to avoid, you know, being estranged, but two, there were a lot of lessons to be learned in different situations, you know, just because they're not estranged and they're in a different sort of season in their life doesn't mean that there weren't things to, to learn. And likewise, here we are talking to an expert on adoption and parenting through adoption, we'll say. And while some of my listeners I know have adopted, there's also a lot that haven't, you know, and and I haven't, for example. But this podcast is for both groups, and I hope you're going to find value no matter what path your life is on. So that's what I wanted to start with. And again, welcome, Alex. Nice to have you. Yay, thanks. I loved that intro. Everyone can be involved in parenthood no matter what that looks like, and we can all learn from each other. It's amazing sometimes how the more sort of different you can find these similarities. But with all that being said, I do, I sort of know about adoption, obviously, I know what it is. But could you give me a quick like synopsis of what an adoption looks like when you do you just, you know, say, hey, I want a six year old or I, I, I'm sorry, and I don't mean I don't mean to be trite about it. But you know what I mean? I'm just sort of understanding what that looks like logistically to start. And I want to dive in on some of the emotional stuff, too. But Sure. Well, so there are four main kinds of adoption. Three of those are probably a little bit more familiar to your audience or just whoever than others. So you're going to have international adoption, and that is where you're going to go through an adoption process. Usually those adoption agencies have people in the States that work for them or that can be their advocates um, to help do home studies for you to go through an interview process. And then you're going to go through, and I we did not do international adoption, so I am nowhere near an expert on this, but I did interview a lot of people who did an international adoption. I've learned a lot about it, but you're going to look through dossiers. You're going to be matched. People can wait a really short amount of time or a really long amount of time. Usually once you're matched, you can actually legally adopt a child and then still not be able to bring them home yet. And so that process can look like a lot of different links just because of visas and paperwork and you know level of corruption in the country. Just It doesn't matter. There are countries that do adopt to the United States and there are countries that do not. And that can vary and change and each country has its own different laws. So there's a lot of hoops to jump through with international adoption, but some people just really have a heart for that, which is amazing. And of course, there's all kinds of ethical things to say about that, which we could go into if you wanted. But um, So then there's foster care adoption. Uh, that is 
what we did personally, we adopted a baby through foster care and we also adopted a teenager through foster care. So we've kind of run the gamut there. And that is going to be where you train as a foster parent. You can either be an open foster home where you have kids that might reunify, which is always what you're going to support. You're going to support reunification or family placement priority every time. And then you can also be an adopt-only home through foster care, which is the route that we went. We were only available to match with children who were post-TPR, which is termination of parental rights. So that was where they had already been in the system for a while. The court or um, an advocate had already determined that it was not safe for them to return to their biological family or and that there was no family available to be placed um, either that they weren't available, uh, they didn't exist, or that they weren't safe as well. And so that's another route. There's also domestic infant adoption, which is probably what we in America are the most familiar with of deciding that you want to adopt and going to an adoption agency or inquiring at an adoption agency, putting together a profile book, and then matching with an expectant mother. Those adoptions, you know, that's still, we advocate for open adoption as long as it's safe through domestic infant adoption every single time. That's better for the child. We see that when they have the freedom to ask questions and get to know their biological family, even if that's from a distance, they're going to be healthier and uh, just develop better. And so then the fourth kind, which is kind of getting popularity. I feel like popularity is a weird thing to say about adoption, but it's becoming more and more known and that is embryo adoption. So um, when couples go through IVF, they can create multiple embryos and they can decide to implant some of those, all of those, none of those at times. And then there are leftover embryos that they can either have destroyed or they can place them for adoption. And so then a mother could adopt that embryo and actually become impregnated with it. So you would carry and deliver and birth and feed and all of the things that child. So yeah, those are the four main methods of adoption. Yeah, that's great. That's very helpful just to break it down like that for me. Yeah. Let's dive into, um, I think you had this on your site, but people choose adoption for different reasons. Sure. Um, and whether that's your original plan or not, I think you called it plan versus our purpose on one of your, one of your blog posts or, or podcasts. But I'd love to talk both adoption then in a bigger sense, in a, in a grander sense as a, as a mom, as a parent, how we have our plan and how sometimes our plans go astray, but how you kind of land on your feet and, and kind of deal with that. I'd love to hear that in the context of adoption, but then also kind of grander in your experiences. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, that, goodness, that topic could be plucked and applied to so many different things, right? Just plan versus actually, you know, the outcome or whatever. Um, I think just speaking from personal experience, you know, our plan was to adopt older kids that were, um, because those are harder to adopt out. We did not have children at the time, biological children, I mean, and I had just such a big heart for adoption and I still have such a big heart for adoption. But I think that, you know, understandably, there's a level of naivete with that, which can be beneficial. You know, it can make you do things that you might have said no to if you had all the answers or if you knew all the risks. You know, we were thinking like seven, eight as an age and we ended up with 14. And that just kind of is how it happened. So talk about plan versus outcome. And we ended up being placed with a child who had reactive attachment disorder, which was something we were incredibly unfamiliar with. And what is that? Yeah, I'm not familiar either. So, I mean, attachment disorders are 
fairly common in adoptions through foster care. Uh, when you have kids who have significant trauma in their lives, it's understandable that they would have an attachment disorder. We're learning a lot more about that now because I think that there is the, I don't know, I think that maybe like the old school view of adoption of this child should be so grateful they're in a loving family. And the more we learn about the brain and about trauma and how kids experience their adoption journey and how much of their story it is, we're just seeing how many gaps there are in those kiddos. And so when you have, um, when we're talking specifically about RAD or reactive attachment disorder, it's basically where the actual brain pathways were severed because of so much neglect and trauma in their lives. And so um, they just don't form normal human connections with people. So they struggle to relate, to empathize, to, like I said, form attachment or connections. And so the reactive part is that they mirror what they see. They can be what they are in the moment, what they need to be to survive because everything feels like survival to kids with RAD. And so when they are in situations where they are needing to connect with someone, they're just going to mirror that person to react to whatever the other person is doing, even if that's not actually how they feel. It can be really, really difficult. And if you, if there are parents listening with RAD, you guys know, or with kids with RAD, you guys know how crazy RAD can make you feel. And, you know, I'm on my podcast, I'm a big transparency person. We talk about the hard stuff. We do not sugarcoat things. And as much as we can share about our journey as adoptive parents without oversharing our child's story, we do that. And so I'll just say like parenting a kid with RAD can feel like being a prisoner in your own home. It can just feel, you feel like you're actually going crazy because they can be a different person to the rest of the world than they are at home. And it's very difficult for adoptive parents to get resources there because other people are not seeing what you're seeing, such as counselors, psychologists, schools extended family, even babysitters, friends, all of the things. And so once you actually get to the point where you discover a diagnosis such as RAD, oppositional defiance disorder, that's another attachment disorder, then you can start building your toolbox, but it can take time to get there yeah. and it can be really lonely. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's really um, interesting. And, I, and and you were sharing that in the context of, as you said, you were trying to adopt a seven or eight-year-old and ended up with a 14-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Can you sort of choose the ages, but obviously it doesn't work or it's not a hundred percent or yeah, and what was going through your mind when it went from seven to oh that's to fourteen you know um how did you deal with that right? It's definitely always fun with d h s that's what we so some states call it c p s some you know states call it different things, so basically child protective services or yeah. Yeah. So in our state, we call it DHS, Department of Human Services, and then Child Protective Services is a division of that. And it's always, you know, it's always up in the air with DHS. That's kind of the joke among foster parents is they kind of laugh at our plans and we laugh along with them because we're going to do what we can for those kids if we have a heart for it. And um, so for us, we our, our journey was that we were looking at our state's heart gallery, which is just a collection of photos of kids who are post-TPR. They are available for adoption. And we were specifically looking at older kids. We saw a picture of these two boys that looked like they were probably seven or eight, which was our age range. I was pregnant with my first biological child at the time. And we inquired about them and found out that it was an old picture and they were actually 12 or 13, but they wanted to know if we were still interested in the inquiry. And we were kind of like, I, yes, I guess, sure. And then um, that fell through. They actually were adopted by their current foster placement, which is amazing. That's great. They already had attachment with their 
you know, parents. So awesome. But then that put us in a bracket. So then DHS saw like, oh, they're willing to take teenagers we see. And so when we got the next call or when we did our next inquiry, it was about a 13-year-old and then that fell through. And then that 13-year-old's roommate had just turned 14 and the group home leader called us and said, would you be interested in his roommate? Would you like to meet him? And so that's how that process went. So uh, I don't want to say slippery slope because that makes it sound negative, but it just it just kind of happens. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... <laughs> uh, absolutely. And it's, I just, gosh, admire that so much that you went through with it, but they've gone through this journey and, you know, teenagers we joke about on the podcast are not easy. Like we complain now with young kids and just jumping into a teenager without any sort of um, disorder, et cetera, is, is enough. So, <laughs> Sure. Yeah. We got a crash course on like having awkward conversations and having to, right. <laughs> having to shove deodorant in his face and stuff like that. I mean, I'm only 11 years older than him. And so it was just a really funny, like I had a baby and then all of a sudden I was a teenager mom and having to learn the ropes there. And my husband even more so had having all the fun conversations that dads get to have with their teenage boys. Right, right. That's super interesting. As you've been parenting, so you you have um, four kids, is that right? Yes, including him, who he does not live with us anymore. So he's actually 21 now, and he has a family of his own. And so he moved out when he was 18, but we have three in the home now. So that makes four total, yes. Awesome. How does the love, the growth of the love, and, and sort of your family dynamic change how does it come together, I guess I should say, with everyone? Yeah. You know, are there differences? Are there, or is it just, hey, this is like, I love my sister and I love my son and they're different people and it's different love and that's okay. You know, or I'd just be curious for you to chat about that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, that's one thing that when I look back on my story, I wish I had given myself a lot more grace on. Just that it takes time and attachment isn't necessarily automatic, even for your bio kids. You know, there are parents who deal with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety who struggle to attach to their biological babies. And so attachment and connection and love can look different to everyone and everyone's different story. And, you know, when I had my biological children, I attached instantly. I, you know, just like I call it the love explosion, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's just like, oh, I didn't even know I could love another human this way. And I think that I really wanted to get adoption right, whatever that means. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to feel the exact same way immediately with my adopted kids. And when I didn't, I gave myself a lot of shame there and definitely didn't give myself the space and grace to say, this is a journey and it's okay if I'm not there yet. It's okay if I'm never there. It's okay. Like, it's okay. And... I always tell I tell the story on my podcast. So if you're coming from my podcast, you've definitely already, already heard this. But the day our teenager moved in, I had been so excited. I had been the main advocate. I had been calling and pursuing and pushing because the system is very slow. And then he moved in and I thought it would just be this love explosion and like everything would feel complete and like all of my you know hard work and advocacy and all this stuff would be done. And it's like the emptiness that I felt was so real. And I remember standing in my closet and crying because I was just like, why don't I have, where are the feelings? Like, what is, where's the love? And that was like, just really scary for me because I was like, am I a monster? Am I, you know, what's wrong with me? And it was that feeling that was a huge, huge reason why I started the podcast. Cause I realized that if I'm feeling this way, 
other parents have to be feeling this way too. And they're just being quiet about it because I knew how crazy and alone I felt. And it was only through being transparent and talking to other parents and calling them crying, saying like, am I supposed to feel this way about my kid? Because I don't. And then being like, oh, no, 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 that's normal. But I'm like, then why is nobody talking about this? And so I just decided I was going to talk about it. But then, you know, when we adopted our baby, that was very different. You know, I, I bonded with him differently and um, still differently than my biological children, but differently even still than the teenager. And, you know, I think that even now we have a very different relationship with our teenager. And that was a long journey of being okay with that because I gave myself so much shame for not feeling the same way about my teenager that I did about my little kids. And like, of course I didn't. We He spent most of his life away from us. He doesn't even call us mom and dad. And that's fine. Like that ha- that's okay. And getting to a place where I was able to say, that's okay, that this is our own story, not the world's, not parenting magazines, not the mommy blogs. This is our story. And as long as we're doing what we're supposed to do and we're following God and we're following the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all of the things, then we're doing a good job. And getting to that place definitely took a long time. And then even with our baby, it's like, I I didn't, he was withdrawing from drugs and he was having a really hard time. And I was pregnant with my second biological child. There was so much going on at that time. And when I look back at that now, I can laugh at myself for putting so much on my plate to be like, you have to bond with this child that you just was dropped on your doorstep and love them now. Like, that's ridiculous. But at the time, that's how I felt. You know, uh, I was like, what's wrong with me? I can't, you know. And I just, that's the message that I just want to tell adoptive parents is just like, be on your journey. It's okay. You're doing a good job. Don't compare yourself don't feel like you have to attach the same way as your friend did or the same way that the books tell you should. I don't know. Yeah. It's there's just too many, too many messages out there that are hurting people. Absolutely. And and you articulated it really well. You know, you need to give yourself more more grace. And I'd love to talk about grace. That's a nice word, nice way of putting it. We always say, um, just don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. You know, and just so I'd be curious, not in the context just in adoption, but just in your in your parenting journey, it's always hard when you know you're not doing the best you can do or, or something feels like it's not right. And how do you give yourself grace? Like how, just curious, have you, not, not tricks, but what goes on in your head when you're successfully saying, hey, calm down, you know, or whatever, whatever it is? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, I de- I've certainly gotten better at this, but it is, that's the, that's the ever- journey, right? Yeah, that's hard. I think, you know, my, me and my husband joke because he likes to like his bar of success is like they got fed today. So, good job. And I'm like, I did so much more than feed them. That's so rude. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I'm just like done, I think that something that I hit well, okay, here's an answer for you. Sorry as I'm processing this aloud. One thing that I've had to learn to remember is that tomorrow is going to be different. Tomorrow, not necessarily better, but different. And that's one thing that I've, that's one place where I've had a lot of shame for myself is when I'm having an off day or I'm having an off week where I am just cranky and burnt out and I am not being my best for my kids. Not that that's okay or great or, you know, like 
it's fine. Just drink a glass of wine and get over it. Like, not that. Like, we should always strive to be better. But how can we do that while also giving ourselves the grace that this isn't our best day and that is okay in the long run? And tomorrow will be different. You're not going to feel this way tomorrow. And just that, yeah, just that that feeling of like, you're sick today. You're not always going to be sick. It's okay to be kind to yourself because you're sick. Because uh, I and I don't know about other moms, but I know for myself, I feel like, okay, well, I cannot take this day off because I might feel worse sometime. And if this is my bar of measurement, then where's when I feel worse, you know? And I, that's silly. And I hear it when I say it, but it doesn't stop me from feeling it in the moment. So yeah, just remembering that tomorrow's going to be different. That's brilliant. I mean, it's it's that simple and that yeah. complicated. You know, it's not that easy to let go, obviously, but that's what you need to do. And not be so hard on yourself. You know, I think like you're saying, the other the other aspect is once your kids are a little bit older, once they're able to understand, to communicate that. It's okay to say, Hey, I'm tired. Or, you know, I, I yeah. or I'm sorry I acted this way. That wasn't right. And that one makes you maybe feel a little better. But two, it's teaching a great lesson, right? You're teaching your kids, hey, everyone makes mistakes and can't really do anything about that except right. you can't move back. You know, there's no time travel, right? All you can do is move forward. So how are we going to move forward in the best way? And that's apologizing and doing what we can so it doesn't happen again, right? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny because I don't know about you, but I remember I'm at the age now, I'm, I'm 32, and I remember my mom being this age. And this is maybe like the youngest I remember her being, you know, but I just felt like she was so smart and she had it all figured out and she had all these amazing lessons. And she, you know, I tell her that now and she laughs because she's like, oh, if you only knew. But it's funny because I'm now like feeling like not that I'm, I've learned it, I'm done. But each little lesson that I do feel like, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. I'm able, like my kids are in school now and I'm able to tell them when they have a bad day or when their friend's been mean to them, I can say that like, hey, tomorrow's going to be different. Tomorrow is going to be better. You're going to wake up and you're this like this day is crappy and it's okay to let it be crappy for today. And then tomorrow let's wake up with fresh eyes and let's reassess. Um, and it's funny because I didn't know that when my kids were babies, you know, I hadn't learned that lesson. And so when I think back now, like, oh, this is probably why I thought she was so smart because she was just now learning like where I thought my parents had learned this a long time ago and I'm just so behind. I'm like, oh, maybe they had just figured that out for themselves and they were able to hand that to us at the right time. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> that's interesting. That's probably not not too far off. Um, but it is a it is a journey, all this education. You know, you learn something new and then boom, your kids outsmart you and uh, <laughs> on to the next, <laughs> the next lesson. One thing I want to uh, close with here, uh, just being respectful of your time and uh, of our listeners, is... How should people who are thinking about adopting, I guess, think about it? Is it the kind of thing where it's either like, hell yes or no? You know, if you're on the fence, it's probably not a fit. Or is it, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts and and how some of those conversations could go between spouses. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm going to say you should totally adopt. But I think that... But only if it's right for you, right? I mean, if someone, you know, you don't want someone to go through the process and say, oh, man, I have you know, not what I expected, like in your situation, but you got through the other side, like you wanted to, you had that in your heart. And, it, you know, if it's someone doesn't have that in the heart, that's a terrible situation where they have to, I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? So obviously, I know you're being tongue in cheek, but, <laughs> but how do, how do you make that decision if you're not as sure as, as you were at the time? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think that 
you know, being an adoption advocate, I'm going to say if, you know, you're right, not everyone's calling us to adopt. Not everyone's going to feel like that's their, that's what they're supposed to do. I would argue that I think there's probably a lot more people that like could adopt. There's a lot of kids who need that, who need people to stand in the gaps for them and who need them to advocate for them. Um, However, you're right. That's not for everyone. Everyone is not in that financial, you know, doesn't have the financial ability or doesn't have the like season of life ability. And that's fine. I think that you can start having those conversations of how can we help? Look at your friends who have adopted, look at um, just information that you can pull in about it and see how you can support them. If you are considering adoption, ask people who have adopted. And I would say, ask people who have adopted in different ways. You know, talk to your friends who have adopted a baby. Talk to your friends who have done foster care. Talk to your friends who've done an international adoption. And if you don't have friends like figure out how you can get connected to those people. Because I guarantee you, there's only a couple degrees of separation between you and someone who has that experience. But I would say avoid things that look really pretty. There are a lot of like great movies out there and great blog posts and TikTok accounts and stuff like that that make adoption look really dreamy. And that's okay. They don't have to be out there saying like, here's the crappy parts of adoption because you know, that it's, a, it's supposed to be a funny TikTok account. Like that's not their job. Yeah. <laughs> but if it is if it is something that you're looking at doing, figure out all the information, find out. Like I wish that, I feel like I would have been so much more equipped for the attachment stuff, for the the shame that I was going to feel if I had just been more aware, if I had, if someone had told me like, hey, this might happen. This, you might struggle with attachment. You might struggle to, you know, be on this journey of like love and to what degree is the love. And those are semantics that are actually not that important, but you really feel like they're important at the time. So yeah, I would say talk to people who have lived it. That's awesome. That's great advice. And um, I love this. I found this really, really interesting, Alex. You know, I I didn't know much about adoption and I learned more logistically just on this uh, podcast through our talking, but also more um, emotionally. Like I said, I think there's lessons about love to be learned. Like the one you just said, I mean, it doesn't, don't put a label on it, right? Like love is love and right. it goes through stages and ups and downs. And Yeah, there's no finish line to love, right? <laughs> yeah, that is right. That is right. Well, that is fantastic. Again, you can find Alex on Instagram at Alex Fitton. That's A-L-E-X-F-I-T-T-I-N. And she's again the host of the Adoptive Mom podcast. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I love what you're doing with your podcast and what you're reaching. I think that there are a lot of dads who really, really benefit from resources like this. Yeah, get men talking about stuff. I love it. Awesome. Well, we're trying. (laughs) We're trying. Thanks so much, Alex. Talk to you soon. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on.